Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a live look here at the Fargo City Commission meeting that's taking place tonight. Remember, remember last week we talked about uh, Fargo City Commissioner Tony Garrick wanting to strip Fargo Mayor Tim Mahoney of his executive emergency powers. They just had that vote a moment ago. I'm going to break, break it down for you here in just a moment. But first, you know, the big, big news and whether you are a pro-vaxxer, anti-vaxxer, uh, the first vaccine was taken by a human being today in Fargo. I think we've got some video of that, Zach. We want to share that with people. But um, the, the reason I want to play this for you tonight is because, like I said a moment ago, whether you like vaccines or not, the fact that in the last eight to nine months we've gone from this situation with COVID, a novel coronavirus, right, and now to a vaccine via Operation Warp Speed, even if you're one of those people out there that does not like President Donald Trump, you got to give him some kudos for how quickly he was able to get into Operation Warp Speed and get a vaccine put together. So I want to share that with you. Share that with you. Uh, obviously, we'll keep our eye on that as well. All right, back to the Fargo City Commission meeting. So what happened here is that Commissioner Garrick is saying, look, Mayor Mahoney a few weeks ago suggested that the only reason he was keeping the emergency powers in place is because if he didn't, that the city would then lose money. Well, we shared with you last week where City Administrator Bruce Grubb said, Basically, that's just not true, right? We aren't losing any money, whether Mayor Mahoney's got his executive emergency powers or not. So tonight, Commissioner Garrett wanted to bring that up for a vote. I want to remind you, last week we put out, you know, the phone numbers of some people. If you want to partake, if you want to let people know where you stand on that, uh, Commissioner Strand said, yeah, you know, I got a few phone calls, a few emails. So if you want to, you know, start to move things, whether it be in the city, you, we've seen this now happen in the state a couple times where you guys have done a great job flooding Governor Burgum's office with phone calls and emails. But let these people know, and maybe this emergency executive powers thing's not a big deal to you, but boy, it, it definitely gives Mayor Mahoney a lot of power. A lot of power to be shutting down restaurants and bars, certain businesses. Now, a lot of that, he's obviously following the guidelines from the state, he would say, but it still gives him that power to do that. And in my opinion, I think we want to obviously spread that power out. That's what Commissioner Garrett suggested is let us have these votes so that all of us can have our voice be heard and take the hard votes. Let people know that, hey, look, I want to open up businesses or you don't, whatever it might be. Let's put these people on the record. So they had the vote. Commissioner Garrett, Commissioner Pepcorn voted to rescind these emergency executive powers from Fargo Mayor Tim Mahoney. The other three commissioners said, hey, you know what? We're going to continue to give our power, the power, to Fargo Mayor Tim Mahoney. So it is, it is what it is right now, and uh, hopefully this COVID thing is going to be behind us sooner rather than later, and it really won't matter because he'll take away his own power. We'll see if that happens. Doubtful, but we will see. Uh, also right now, we can bring it up, Zach. Uh, Joe Biden is speaking live. We're going to go out to him for just a moment because the Electoral College did vote today to confirm and uh, place President-elect Joe Biden to get the necessary 270-plus electoral college vote. So let's quickly go out to him and hear what he has to say. Extraordinary things we saw this year was that everyday Americans, our friends and our neighbors, often volunteers, Democrats, Republicans, independents, demonstrating absolute courage, they showed a deep and unwavering faith in and a commitment to the law. They did their duty in the face of a pandemic. And then they could not and would not give credence to what they knew was not true. They knew this election was overseen, was overseen by them. It was honest, it was free, and it was fair. 
They saw it with their own eyes. And they wouldn't be bullied into saying anything different. It was truly remarkable because so many of these patriotic Americans are subject to so much enormous political pressure, verbal abuse, and even threats of physical violence. Well, we all wish that our fellow Americans in these positions will always show such courage and commitment to free and fair elections. It is my sincere hope we never again see anyone subjected to the kind of threats and abuse we saw in this election. It's simply unconscionable. We owe these public servants a debt of gratitude. They didn't see. You heard uh, President-elect Joe Biden there talk about a honest, free and fair election. And he hopes that never again we'll have to deal with the situation because we're always going to continue to have honest, free and fair elections. So if that's what he's a proponent of, how many of you home are going to raise your hand and say, yeah, let's bring on the voter ID. Let's get some voter ID and add some more integrity to these elections. I think that is a fantastic idea. By the way, this Wednesday in the Senate Homeland Security Committee, they're actually going to hold a hearing regarding the irregularities that have been taking place in the elections. There was some new information tonight being released about a forensic audit about the voting machines in Michigan. I have not had a chance to see that yet, but just so you know, that information is out there if you do want to get a chance to read it. We'll be telling you more about uh, the situation on Wednesday after the Senate Homeland Security Committee hearing regarding the elections. All right. Now, I'm sure you've heard the news that the Boardwalk Bar and Grill up in East Grand Forks, Minnesota, they, they opened up, they defied Governor Wall's executive order trying to close down restaurants, no eating inside the restaurants. So then Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison filed a cease and desist letter. Um, then a judge also um, filed a restraining order. So they had to, to, they were supposed to shut down their bar and grill. So earlier today, I had a chance to have a just fascinating conversation with Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, welcome back to Point of View. It's always, it's always great to have you, man. So thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. So obviously you've been creating a lot of news here up in East Grand Forks because of the uh, boardwalk bar and grill. You you filed a cease and desist. The judge came back as well um, and said, hey, we're going to not allow them to order, uh, open up because of the restraining order. I just want to go through some data with you. And then let's talk about why you're focused on this restaurant. So according to the Minnesota Department of Health, this is back on November 18th, um, 2,766 COVID cases have been traced back to restaurants and bars. So I went back to the Minnesota Department of Health on November 18th and looked at total cases at that time. You had 277,254. I mean, you're talking about 0.998% of the COVID cases that are being attributed to restaurants and bars. Why spend your time trying to shut these people down and suspend liquor license? Because every life is important, every life matters. If, if your family is the one who is infected by that 1% and lost that loved one of yours in your family, you might see it a little bit differently. The fact is we're not focusing on anyone. Uh, our, our complaints are driven by people who call us and say, hey, this is happening. You need to come up here and enforce the law properly. So we get calls and we get complaints and so we look into it. In this particular case, it wasn't that this person was making mistakes. It wasn't exactly abiding by the uh, COVID restrictions quite accurately. That we can talk out, no problem. But they were openly saying they just weren't going to do it. And that's not a good sign when you have a state that is losing upward of 90 people a, a day. Um, the fact is that it's uh, it's just way, it's just way too many. 
I mean, you know, the truth is that percentage that you pointed out there, out of 100 people, that's almost a full person right there. Now, who's no, no, sir. Is that? Sir, sir, just to be fair, I'm talking, these. this is just, I'm sorry, this is just cases. I'm not even talking, I'll get into yeah. rates in a moment. I'm saying just 0.99% of the cases. And so right. you know that. But, but you got to have an infection before you're going to have somebody actually die from COVID. And, you know, and again, but so you know, we can't. To Go be ahead. fair, sir, I just just to just to stick with the data because this this is what I'm sure. there's a couple let's things I want to I want to stick to the data and then I also want to get to the to the law aspect of this. So but let's look at this as well because I just ran this math as well. So the death rate in Minnesota is 1.16% total. So if you're talking about 0.9% is the COVID case rate, and then you talk about hey, just one percent of those is the death rate. And then you can see here, sir, if I'm 59 or younger, my death rate is 0.09%. So 0.0, I mean, it's a lot of math for TV, but you see what I'm getting at? We're 0.09% of a death rate of 0.998%. It just seems egregious to say we're going to shut down a restaurant and bar when you've got hundreds of people walking through a Costco and a Walmart. Except for we're losing 60, 70, 80, 90 people a day here in Minnesota, depending upon the day. Except for the fact that those people, they, 90 people in the whole state of Minnesota may not seem like a lot, but it seems like everything if it's your family. So what are we supposed to do? And, and as I was saying before, you know, it's not as if these, you know, th th this particular institution was trying to uh, comply but wasn't quite getting there. We can work with that. But when you're openly saying we're just not going to obey the law, I'm sorry, but as attorney general, I can't stand by and just say that's fine. I mean, the fact is, we all have to obey the law. We can't live in a lawless society. And so I'm asking folks to comply. I also am urging our legislators to pass a package that can help businesses get from where we are now to a period where we can relax these restrictions and open up more. Nobody wants to open up more than myself and the governor and others. We want to open up the state. But when the numbers are coming in, you know, 90 people a day, 60 people a day, large numbers of people dying a day, no. not to mention 3,000 infections a day. We just can't sit back and say we, we will not try to protect people from this. We're going to have to try to do that. Sir, if, if every life matters, like you suggested, we recently had. It Dr. Does. OK, so Dr. Redfield recently said that these lockdowns are creating more people to commit suicide, drug abuse, overdoses. Those lives matter, too. And these are these are businesses. That could be I agree with that. So, so my question is, where's the balance? Again, I go back to Costco, Walmart. I mean, I can go sit in a salon for an hour, but I can't go get and sit inside a restaurant for 30 minutes to eat food. That's what I'm trying to get is where is the, go ahead, sir, where's the balance? So, so here's the thing. You know, the fact is we know that quarantine, any quarantine is going to have a social, psychosocial impact on the individual, the isolation. We're asking uh, faith communities, other communities to step up and make sure that nobody is lonely, that people are getting the treatment that they need. But like, let me just tell you, one of the problems that we have is that particularly in Northwestern Minnesota, we don't have a lot of excess capacity as it relates to healthcare facilities. So if you have a loved one who may have tried to engage in self-harm, but you catch him before they do, you know, you want to be able to make sure that there's a hospital bed available to them so you can treat them. But the level of pressure and the ox and the and the excess capacity is not there, and we're at like above ninety percent capacity in our hospitals at this point. So you get a heart attack, you get a stroke, you get a car accident, you get an attempted suicide. Where's the beds going to come from if you only have a few in the ICU unit available for people so, to have? 
This is part of what we're trying to do. Make sure that the system doesn't overload so that we can't treat the cases that are coming in. So you, how many deaths do you know that can be traced back to restaurants that are COVID associated? You know, let me tell you this, you know, I have not, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I've met people and I've talked with the, uh, the state health officials who monitor this stuff moment to moment. And what they're telling me that this is a serious problem. It's part of an entire problem. It's part of a number of areas of activity where we have to try to make sure that people are abiding by the restrictions to stay safe. I mean, we can't say we'll let them do whatever they want, but we're only going to enforce here. The fact is, if people tell me, I've heard a few times now that some of the big big box stores are not abiding by the restrictions. Yeah, so I'm talking to my staff right now and saying, what can we do about that? So at least people feel that the uh, law is being applied fairly. If you tell me where, where people are not abiding by it, we'll try to address that. And Mr. A.G. Ellison, I mean, I, I feel like you're a guy that wants to fight for the little guy. You and I both know Walmart's got attorneys galore to fight you. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll fight them. Let me trust you. I don't care how big they are. But we my will go in there, we will take the boardwalk bar and grill. They, they don't have attorneys that are on retainer all the time. Maybe they do, but you know what I'm saying. They, they don't want to spend that money on retainers to try and fight you. And I guess that's where the discrepancy is. So Look, let's, go to, let's go to the law piece. Well, let's just say with regard to that establishment, you know, the fact is, is that I'm hoping for a good outcome there. They did openly say they were going to violate. That left me in a position where I had to do something. And so I did. So, but the bottom line is I'm hoping for a good outcome, courts on Wednesdays, and I'm hoping that we can have an outcome that works for everybody. And I'm telling you, I understand the tremendous burden that we're asking people to bear, but given the health uh, realities, we simply have to do it. So let me ask you this, because I'm hearing rumors, and these are just rumors, so I haven't confirmed this, but that no matter what happens on Wednesday, these restaurant bar owners, the Boardwalk Bar and Grill, are just gonna reopen their business so are, yeah. you, are you going to be on them or are you going to sort of go light and go, hey, guys, let's try to work together? I'm going to say try to work together now. I want to work together now. <laughs> but if people tell me I'm just going to violate the law and I don't care, then as attorney general, I have to step up and say, no, you do have to abide, abide by the law. Simple as that. Now, you're asking me, what if they overload the system? We're going to we're going to do the best we can with what we have. But I tell you this, we won't be able to, we probably won't be able to stop everybody who does it. But for the ones that we do catch doing it and have evidence to present to a court, we're going to do that. Um, I want to get to the legal aspect of this with small businesses in a moment. First, though, uh, about a week or so ago, I don't remember exactly when, but we had a uh, small business gym owner from southern Minnesota. He's a veteran. You had filed an injunction against his uh, business as well. And again, I go back to, you know, facts, not fear. I did the math based on your injunction. Right. 0.27% of the cases are being traced back to gyms. And so I asked this gentleman, hey, you know, what, what do you want to say to um, about what's happening? I want to share with you. He's a veteran. So I want to share with you what he said right. and you can respond. OK, um, my passion lies with with exactly what you said. You know, all of us service members took an oath to protect the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And unfortunately, I feel, as well as many others, that there's domestic terrorism here in the United States and in the state of Minnesota with this unlawful abuse of power by our governor and the attorney general. Your reaction to him saying that you and the governor are domestic terrorists? I feel that he's upset. 
because he wants to open and he's angry. And I get that. I understand people are angry. I'm not going to have an emotionally re- re- emotional reaction to somebody who's upset and is understandably upset. But what I'm trying to get him to understand is even though, you know, his industry may represent not a huge percentage of the problem, there is a percentage of the problem that is coming from his industry and we can't just ignore it. And if he says I'm open and no matter what, then he leaves me little choice other than to try to enforce the law. Look, my son is a United States Army active duty up until only a few months ago. My father was in the military. I have a lot of people in my family in the military. I respect the military. But all of them, they, they, they're like, look, we, we, we serve our country to, to protect the rule of law. And if a court, look, it's not just me. A judge said that he uh, had to abide by the, the, uh, the restriction. So it wasn't as if we just, I did this. This is something that we brought to a court of competent jurisdiction who ruled that he was in violation of the law. So, so, look, I so there's a lot more to that interview with the Minnesota AG, Keith Ellison. A couple things I think that are important to know. One, towards the end of the interview, he did share, and he said, Chris, I don't want to drop this on you, but he did share that he actually lost his mom to COVID-19. So please keep him and his family in your thoughts and prayers. Um, but also, you know, just I appreciate the fact that he's willing to come on. He knows it's not going to be an, an easy interview. Many politicians say no to this show because they know they're not going to be easy interviews. He's like, hey, let, let's have the conversation, Chris. Let's chat. So I appreciate and respect that about Minnesota AG Keith Ellison. All right, please share your point of view with us. A lot to uh, digest there, but very easy to do. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. When we come back, we're going to get to your points of view. A lot of great stuff. We're going to get to that right after this.